Well, good morning and welcome to Trinity. <clears throat> Thank you, Christopher, for doing the announcements for us. I'm going to read a passage to you and then tell you a little story before we get started today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, <clears throat> No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Who said that? I'm glad he said it, not me, aren't you? This is what Jesus said. This past week, I was speaking to a man who actually was called to go visit a widow. She was 51 years old. He was 53. By the way, that gets close to home. This man had built an incredible business for himself. He was involved in installing swimming pools, had large garages, lots of equipment and so forth. His wife was so overwhelmed by the amount of equipment and things that he had in his business that she threw her hands up and said, somebody else is going to have to help. So when the people went there to talk to her to see what had happened, this is how he died. He carried in his pocket to protect himself a 22, and it was a little pocket pistol about two or three inches long, and one day he got up in the morning and he went to take it out of his pocket, <clears throat> and the hammer got caught on his key ring just enough to dispatch the trigger and to lodge a bullet up inside his entrails, and he died in his home tragic story, but a true story, but here's what it made me think. If that happened to you today, first of all, and you left this world, where would you be? Because your soul lives on somewhere. Would you be in the presence of God because you have trusted in Christ to provide the righteousness that you need in order to stand before a holy God? Or would you stand in the presence of God without the righteousness of Jesus, with your own righteousness and your own goodness before God, thinking that you're going to be able to satisfy his wrath? And that's the bottom line about that part of eternity. Now, if you know Jesus and you've accepted Christ and you have his righteousness, there's another question that we have to ask, and this is the question that penetrates my heart is when I stand before him, what do I hear? Do I hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? I have blessed you with many things and you have in turn honored me. Or do I hear, shame on you, my servant? Now, sometimes we think in our Christian life that God or Jesus would never, ever say to his people, Shame on you. We think that somehow or another God would never say, you did not please me. But this morning, I'm going to challenge you just a little bit because I know these kinds of messages are terrible. But nevertheless, I would not be faithful if I wasn't reading you what God said in his word about our life and our responsibility for him. So I'm going to ask you to turn this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 6. As Paul talks to every believer this morning, poor and rich. And I love passages where he addresses both, don't you? Because then God lets you decide whether you're poor or whether you're rich. 
Now, by the way, if you're listening this morning and you're in America, did my message come up on the screen there? It did. I need it, man. I mean, there it is. If you live in America, I have read before that if you live in America this morning, no matter what kind of house you live in or car you drive or how big your bank account, just the fact that you live here makes you richer than 95% of the world's population. Now, don't quote me on that. This is what someone else said. I'll let you do your own research. But I will say this, that we are sending this week a group of people from our church to Guatemala. And their lives are going to be rocked. Because they're going to walk through streets and they're going to meet women who are in their 60s. And by the way, if you live to be 60 in Guatemala, you are a very old lady. And they're going to see these old ladies live in a home. Some of them have walls. Some of them don't. But they're going to see these old ladies walking the streets, picking up pieces of brush, piling them in a pile and putting them on their head and carrying them back to their home so they can start a fire in order to cook a few vegetables every day to feed their family. And their lives are going to be changed not because of the incredible poverty, but they're going to be changed because of the incredible joy that they see in the faces of these older ladies because they are just so happy with the blessings that God has given them. I remember the first time I went to visit the Abuelitos, the older grandparents, and I went into a home and turned around and walked out and I thought, there is no way, God, no way that a heart could be content with that, and yet they were. And then God allows me to go into Egypt and go through the streets of Egypt to see the little kids playing in the trash, pulling out cans and refuge from garbage piles and running them around like Tonka trucks and just so happy and so content. It's not about what we possess that makes us happy. It's about what possesses us. And that's what Paul is going to share this morning. Now, we're in a series, and you're saying, are you ever going to get finished? Yeah, eventually. Well, we're in a series, actually, on what it means to be an effective, impactful church member. And we remind people that, you know, we here at Trinity exist to point people to Jesus, and we want to do that one person at a time. Do you realize if only one person leaves here today thinking more clearly and more deeply and their life has changed because of this, I am totally satisfied. Because this is a direct reflection upon our heart and our walk with the Lord. And so we've been talking about this over and over. I was going to give you a quiz this morning, but due to the time restraint, I didn't. But basically there are five steps for growth in the Christian life in your involvement in a local assembly. The first is belonging. You need to attend. Second, you have to connect with people. Sunday morning is not enough. Third, you need to find at least one place in the local assembly to serve once a year. Sitting is not enough. You must serve. And then, you must not just do those, but you must give. Give of yourself. Give of your resources. God creates His people to be generous givers and gracious givers and then the last step is go which we'll talk about at the end of the message 
But I'm going to turn this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and read the text, and this is it. Paul writes, As for the rich in this present age, I hope you underline that in your mind, the rich in this present age, what does that imply? That implies that there is a future age in which there could be a reversal. In other words, it's possible to be rich in this age, but in the age to come, as a Christian, to be poor. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't have Christ's righteousness. That doesn't mean that you won't be in the kingdom. But that does mean that what you do in this life will determine what you do in the next life. Because, listen to me, dear friends, this is not it. You know, Karen and I have intentionally been reading and watching different views that people in our current generation... You know, last week Christian preached on the generational crisis. We've been trying to read and listen to what this generation thinks about Christianity, Jesus, the Bible, and the spiritual life. And it's not very high. And one of the reasons that they don't is because everything they believe is tied to this present life. In other words, they can't see past this life. In other words, nothing else exists. So you live for this life only. This is what distinguishes the Christian and the perspective of God's Word from this life and the next. And so Paul is very clear when he writes, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Now, by the way, I'm going to plow the ground here in a few minutes, but the uncertainty of riches. How, why are riches uncertain? Well, you can have them today and wake up and put your trousers on tomorrow and not have them. You can have them today and pull out on the road and another car hit you head on and tomorrow not have them. You can have them today and develop a pain in your side and go to the doctor and find out that you have stage 4 cancer living inside of your body and within weeks it all disappears. The uncertainty of riches. By the way, you can stock them in the Dow Jones and wake up tomorrow and find out it's hit the bottom and lose it all. And if you don't believe me, ask some people who have done that. They'll tell you. You can put them in the housing market and discover that all of a sudden the bottom fell out. Riches in this life are uncertain for many reasons because their value is determined on the currency and the need and the demand. And they're also uncertain because, listen closely, you can't take any of it with you. Not one red penny. Unless it's transmuted, that means it's changed, and it's put into place for a real investment in the future age. So Paul says, Timothy, you are to stand and you are to remind the rich in this age that they are not to be haughty, 
Don't think that you're one class above anybody else because you have anything. Because really, we're all no different than anyone else. Now, can't you imagine this letter being read publicly? You had bosses and CEOs. You had different types of wealthy older people and some younger people who had inheritance. But then you had slaves. You had those who were looked at as the, the, the lowest of the earth. And they're all sitting together in Ephesus, worshiping as this letter is being read by the Apostle Paul. And they're all having to absorb this. And by the way, Paul has a message for the poor too. So hang in there. We're not leaving anybody out. Not to be haughty or set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Remind the rich that they are to do good and to be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Thus, if they're ready to share and willing to do good, Paul says, they are storing up treasure for themselves a good, as a good foundation for the future age. Can I put that word in there? What we do with our resources in this life will determine where we and how we are positioned in the next life, in the kingdom age. Paul writes, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Life in this age versus life in the future age. And are you ready for this, Christian? It takes faith, a lot of faith, to believe God in this matter. A lot of faith. Because what we have to do, and by the way, I have three life-changing lessons at the end of this that's going to shock you, I think, because what you actually have to do is release ownership. You've got to turn loose. And I'm going to tell you what one pastor suggested, and I had to, phew, you're talking about pain, having to go through some of this. You have to be able to turn it loose in order to have freedom. Now, what is a Christian's understanding of wealth and investing? I printed this article. It was written by Chuck Bentley from uh, one of the major investing and Christian corporations in the United States. He helps Christians do their counseling. So basically, this is what he says. What does the Bible say about a Christian investing? And he says that there are multiple ways that God has given us to provide for our family, but he gives three major reasons that a Christian is to take care of their resources. Number one, they are to take care of their resources so that they can further God's work. He writes, in Acts 4, the believers sold their possessions to meet the needs of other believers. God blesses some people with a surplus so that they can use it to help others. Obviously, those who have more are able to give more to God's work. That doesn't mean everyone will, but I would encourage anyone with means to give and be generous now. The second reason he encourages investing is to take care of your family. He writes that having a surplus doesn't necessarily mean that you give it all away. Giving and saving are both biblical principles. Did you all hear that? Giving and saving are both biblical principles. 
And stewards should have a proper balance between the two. We are to give first to advance God's work, and then we are to save a portion to ensure that we have some type of an emergency fund, and then begin investing. Investing can be a wise way to save for college tuition, to provide for yourself during later years of life, or to leave an inheritance or a gift to someone that outlives you. And then the third reason he says that we are to save and invest is to be free. He writes this, when you have planned for your future and you have the ability to personally fund your living expenses without working, then both your time and your money are available to be used for God's service. So in other words, when you reach a certain position in life where you have enough to meet your needs, he says, then you have freedom in your life to serve God and to help other people. I thought that was just a very balanced way to look at money and living. Christians sometimes want a, a percent, or we want a number. Tell me what I have to give to please God. I don't think you can do that. Because I think people are in different categories in their life. For some people, 10% is a lot. For other people, 10% is a joke. It all depends on where we are. So God kind of puts it back in your lap, and He says, Give as it has been given to you, because God loves a cheerful giver. So that kind of rests in a, a kind of a state of grace for you, okay? Now, what are God's instructions here to two classes of people? First of all, to the poor, and second, to the rich. And you're going to have to turn there in your Bible, because I did not put this on the screen. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm going to start reading about, oh, verse... Where should I start? Verse 3, because I like this. Paul here is charging Timothy, and he explains to him, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus and the teaching that accords with godliness, here's why he doesn't like the Bible. He's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Because they are imagining that godliness is a means of gain. You could write here if you wanted to, false prosperity teachers. Those who teach in such a way to say that godliness always brings gain. And by the way, that is just not always true. If you don't believe me, ask the Apostle Paul. The man who wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else was poor. Had nothing. Oftentimes was destitute. But at the end of his life says, I have learned that whatever state God allows me to be in, therewith to be content. And that's the key word. Notice what Paul goes on to write. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Caitlin, where are you? There you are. Patrick, where are you? There you are. And Karen's already heard this message. Don't forget that verse because you'll see it lived out next week. If we have food and clothing, we will be content. 
You just have to go there. You have to see it. Verse 9, but here is the message to the poor. But those who desire to be rich. That means they're not rich, but this is what they live for. But those who desire to be rich, there is a warning. What is it? First of all, you better learn to be content because riches will not bring you what it, you think it will bring you. We think riches will bring happiness. We think it will bring security. We think it will bring safety. We think it will bring all the pleasures, the power, the control that we crave for in life. But in reality, what we discover is it creates another monster inside. That monster is control, greed. Sometimes it can turn to dishonesty, lies, cheating, because people always want more. Somebody asked John D. Rockefeller, and if you've never watched that series on the History Channel, The Titans That Made America... If you've never watched that, that's a great series. How much is enough? And he said, just another dollar. I mean, the man had captured every fund there was to capture. Just another dollar. It's almost like it's some kind of disease down in the heart that just eats and eats and it can never be filled. And Paul writes... I am warning those who are seeking after riches that they be careful because of this. They will fall into many temptations. Paul writes, first of all, it can seduce you. Look what he says in verse 9. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. This is the concept of a hunting phrase. Somebody who's trapping something. What, anybody who's trapped or hunted, what do you put in a trap to allure something in there? What is it? It's bait. And what happens when the animal steps in to take the bait that it thinks is going to satisfy its need? Whack! And they're caught. And picture, if you will, like this trap that is for a coyote or some type of an animal. And you think that when you get a hold of that, it's really going to satisfy you. And Paul says it's nothing but a snare, a trap, riches. Just another dollar. They fall into temptation, into a snare. Notice what he says now. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Take this one phrase at a time. Into many senseless and harmful desires. The desire to be rich leads some people into the desire to lie to get more riches. Have you ever wondered why some people have so much and then will go to great lengths to cheat on taxes or to beat someone out of money just so they can hoard back just a little bit more. Have you ever noticed how, especially in the business realm, by the way, I feel sorry for business CEOs, by the way. I, I really do. Because they have so much and so much at their fingertips 
Yet there's such a challenge to always have more and more. Read of a Wall Street investor this week that had multiple phones in his pocket. One was from this boss, one was from that boss. And he would constantly be having to lead them on, trying to get people to invest. Basically, folks, are you ready for this? Lying to them, hoping that he could promise them to invest more because the more they invested, the more he made. And on and on it went. Careful, Paul says, that desire to be rich leads you into a snare, which then leads you into all kinds of senseless and harmful desires that then lead you into the downward, how does he phrase this? Plunging of people into ruin and destruction. The plunging, the fall. You all remember the Enron scandal? Do you all remember some of the scandals in Christianity, by the way? If you don't, go, go back and read about simony. Uh, it happened in the early church when people saved up and hoarded great amounts of money so that they could buy positions. Uh, indulgences, have you heard of that? You should go read about that. This is things that happened hundreds and thousands of years ago in church history. Christians aren't exempt. And Paul here writing to Christians says, for those who desire to be rich, just realize this, it can seduce you, it can distract you, and it can destroy you. And here's why he writes, verse 10, for the love of money, not the possession of it, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And it is through this craving, the word craving there could be tied right back up to desire in verse 9, this craving, he writes, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now hold your place here since you're there and I'm already on it. Flip over to 1 Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's only like one page over in your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. I just want to read you a little demonstration of perhaps... Someone who plunged themselves into destruction. Verse 9, he writes to Timothy and says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. By the way, if you circle that word Demas and you go back and study him, you'll find out he was mentioned in Colossians chapter 4. He was mentioned in the book of Philemon. And Paul says Demas was a wonderful, faithful servant. But something happened in his Christian life from the time that the Apostle Paul met him in Colossae and Philemon until the end of his life. And something was this. The world got a hold of him. Somehow or another, his mind got off of God's Word and it got on to watching people in his world and he became, became convinced that what he saw in this world actually took precedent over what God wrote in His Word. So what I see, I experience, I know this is reality. I really can't know that, so I'm going to live for the here and the now to be as comfortable as I can. And listen what happened. He ended up deserting the Apostle Paul. 
Some commentators say that it was probably over his desire to have something more. So as a Christian, may we not think that we're exempt from that. You know, just because we begin well doesn't mean we finish well. And when God entrusts much to us, what does He require from us? He requires much. And so wealth is a great responsibility. Okay, so that's to the poor, all right? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It causes people to do all kinds of crazy things. Kill, steal, cheat, destroy, lie. You could go down the list. Now Paul has instruction for the rich. And I've already read this, so just let me make some comments on it. First of all, do not be arrogant, he writes. Do not be high-minded. Don't think more of ourselves than we should actually think. Haughty is the word in the ESV. You know, there is a sense of accomplishment when someone reaches a certain financial goal if we're not careful. And by the way, I'm talking to Christians this morning, not... I'm, I'm talking to God's people. There is a sense to where we can sit back and say, wow, look what I have amassed. I don't need anything from anybody. Now remember at the beginning of this sermon when I said that the one man said that one of the reasons for investing is to be free? Yes, it is, but not to be free from God. It is to be free to God, not free from God. So when we live to invest in certain, a certain place in life, we do it so that we have a launching pad to serve Him. So we are not to be haughty in thinking that somehow or another we acquired all of this. We did it. I mean, I know people work for it. They may invent for it. There's certain things that they do. But everything you have comes from God. I'm going to come back and prove that with a passage. Everything you have comes from God. Second, he writes to the rich and says, do not be deceived. In other words, do not set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. And I've already explained why they are uncertain. But he writes here that we are to set our hope on what? Are y'all looking at the text? Set your hope on God. Don't set them on the uncertainty of riches, but you are supposed to have hope. And what is that hope supposed to be in? In God. Now, this ties, by the way, right back up to the previous paragraph, which I'm going to read for you. Listen to what he writes in verse 11. But for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee the desire to be rich. Flee the love of money. Flee these things and instead pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. You are to fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This was probably Timothy's ordination when he stood before God and people and they laid hands on him. They said, you're called to this ministry. And Paul's reminding this young man, you are not to love money. One of the qualifications of a minister is what? He's not to be a lover of money. Or he'll try to take advantage of people. He may try to talk them out of something for his own personal gain. Paul says, you run from that. 
You flee that. And then he says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who has in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, he who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he who alone has immortality, He who alone dwells in unapproachable light. You ready for this description about God? Who no one has ever seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. He says, Timothy, you remember who you're serving. I want to say something to you this morning. Christian, you remember who you're serving. You don't give to the church because you're giving to me. You don't give to the church because you love this building. You give of your resources because you give to God. And I hope you give beyond this church. I hope you give to people who have needs. I hope you give to other missionaries who we don't support here because you may be able to do that. And I hope God develops in our heart generosity a willingness to do good, to be willing to share. We shouldn't be arrogant, we shouldn't be deceived, but we should be, Paul says, generous. But warn them to do good, he writes. And then he describes what good is. Notice this, to be generous and ready to share. When Paul writes to the rich and says you're to do good, what he means by that is you're to be generous and you're you're to be ready to share with other people who have legitimate needs. That doesn't mean that you pull up to the drunk or the hobo on the corner and hand him a $50 bill and let him go to food line and buy a bottle of liquor. Please hear me. You have to be discerning. You have to be wise. But at the same time, you have to be willing to be generous. Don't get so hard or jaded because somebody takes advantage of you that it stifles your future kingdom life. And let me tell you something. Every time we give a gift from Trinity, from our benevolence fund, to somebody that we have question with, I always remind them of this with, a, with the most godly smile. I say, now, the people in our church have given of their life into this fund to help people like you. And I want you to know that what you're taking right now is God's money. And one day, you will stand before the God of whom this money belongs, and you will give an account of what you do with it. So if you go do something that you're going to be ashamed of one day, I would encourage you, don't even take it. But if you're going to take it and you're going to use it for what you told us you're going to use it for and you have a clear conscience that you can stand before Jesus one day and we give this to you in the name of our Lord. You say, well, have you ever had anybody give it back? That's a story for another day. (laughs) Be generous, be willing to share. And notice what Paul says in verse 19. Thus storing up treasure for themselves. When you're generous, when you're willing to share with the means God gives you now, you are actually storing up treasure for yourselves as a good foundation for the future. 
so that they, the rich, may take hold of that which is truly life. Well, now how do you bring all this home? How do you bring it home? Well, this is hard, by the way. But here are three lessons that we can take home on the, the importance of being generous. The first lesson is this. Greed must be replaced by grace. Greed must be replaced by grace. I think I put this on the screen. Listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthians. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I like this illustration. When you go out in your yard and you tear up a patch of grass and you want to have grass back in your yard, what do you do? Well, I'm sure that you go to Walmart and find the cheapest bag of, of seed that you possibly can, don't you? And then when you walk out in that patch that you've taken the rake and you've got it all loosened up because you want the soil to be good so it will take the seed, I'm sure that you go out there and open that two-pound bag and reach in and get one pinch and go, No, we don't. We open that bag and it says you are to put this much out in this big of a patch and we put that out and we go, I think I'm going to double it. Why? Because we really want to see grass grow. And Paul says here, when you're thinking about the, the future life, if you sow sparingly in this one, mark it down, you will reap sparingly in the next. But if you sow bountifully in this one, Paul writes, you will sow bountifully in the next. And here's why. Because God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a seed spreader. He likes someone who is willing to trust Him and actually do what He tells them to do. Because they love God more than they love money. Now notice what he says. In this life, when you sow, when you sow abundantly and you think you're going to give it all away, this is what he's telling the Corinthians. Remember this, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, by the way, that's called contentment. You want a definition of contentment? Here it is. All grace all sufficiency at all times. God satisfies us. He says, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. God can meet your needs. You can't outgive God. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Hence the title of the message, Generosity. 
Paul says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that came from your confession in the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. You can go back and read 2 Corinthians and get the specific context. But Paul was telling the people that they are to be generous and God will reward them. Now, the second lesson on generosity is this. Ownership must be replaced by stewardship. Now, Will Yeager sent me a sermon of a pastor who preached a message on this, and this was the application that that pastor gave. Are you ready for this? He told his congregation to go home, take 30 minutes of silence or longer, and sit down with a piece of paper and list what you have. And then he, he said this, after you get through listing everything that you have on that paper, your, your everything, he says, then, Christian, you come to the crossroads of life that determines whether you're going to be obedient to God or disobedient. And here is the difference. He says, when you come to the place to where you realize you are not the owner and you're willing to give everything you have to God, not 10%, not a tithe, 100%. He said, then you actually stop seeing yourself as the owner and you start seeing yourself as the steward. And then you say, God, you have allowed me to have this. You've entrusted this to me for an uncertain number of years. I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know how long this wealth is going to last. But whatever you've given to me, you've given to me not to own but to manage for you. And this is what he said. As a Christian, are you ready for this? <clears throat> Greed really doesn't leave your heart until you give it all to Him. Now I'll let you ponder that one. Listen to this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 8. God writes to the nation of Israel and says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power... And the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers at this day. The nation of Israel is about to go in the land, and God said, Everything you have came from God. By the way, the same thing could be said to us. Some people, God gives a a fabulous business mind. God gave that to you not to get rich off of, not to sit back and worship self. God gave you that so that you could worship Him and serve Him and be a steward for Him. God is the one who gives these gifts. By the way, did any of y'all watch American Idol? Any of y'all watch that? Go ahead and tell me if you did. Raise your hand. I want to see it. Okay, I... Two people are not afraid to be honest. Karen and I love to watch this for a couple of reasons. First of all, it shows you different people from different backgrounds of life and the different stories they have. And the second, it also shows you that these people, some of them are devoted followers of Jesus. Those who got near the top this time 
where almost all of them were believers. But this one particular girl, when they were having the, the, the stay-offs or whatever they call it, playoffs, to listen to her talk, she had a very squeaky voice. But when this girl sang, she could blast. And I began to say to myself, where, where did that voice come from? By the way, when you look at the faces, you don't imagine they would have this kind of voice. You know where it came from? Not mom and dad. That was a gift given to them by God so that they could serve Him. They were given their gift, their particular talent to sing or whatever that gift is. God gave them that gift so that they would serve Him. It belongs to Him. They are stewards of that gift. And this is exactly what Paul is saying about our finances. And then the third lesson is God's perspective of the future life must guide our perspective in this life. Christian, hear me. It takes as much or more faith to believe and live this as it does to believe the gospel. Now, I know that's a powerful statement. But after you trust Jesus for eternal life, you also have to take God's word by faith, believing that this is going to come true. And, and here's what it is. That you do good in this life with what God gives you in your financial life, and you will lay up treasure for your future. Jesus told this story in Luke chapter 6, 19. And I'm going to read it to you. Listen carefully. As they heard these things, and by the way, Brian preached on Zacchaeus a few weeks ago, didn't he? That was what was right above this. As they heard these things about Zacchaeus paying back everybody he had wronged and giving up his money, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Obviously, he's talking about himself. They've rejected him. He's going to go into God's presence, far country. He's going to come back. He says, calling ten of his servants, first group of people, he gave them ten minas. Now, how much is a mina? One mina is about 42 cents. Ten minas is about $4.20 in today's world. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens, second group of people, hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. So let me apply. Church, his servants, world, people who reject God, reject Christ, reject his word, we don't want that old book or any of this God stuff to rule over us. We'll not have it. I notice what Jesus said. When he returned, when he returned, not if he returns, when he returned, having received the kingdom and now bringing it down to his people, he ordered the servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him. Now Christian, are you listening? That he might know what they had gained by doing business. So he's using his, he's using business terms for your Christian life. This includes everything. Your talents, 
your spiritual gifts, your finances, your resources, your time. He called them in that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina, your 42 cents, has been increased 10 times. It's made 10 more. You gave me two quarters and I got back a $5 bill. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful and you didn't just cast away the fact that I entrusted 42 cents to you, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Four dollars and twenty cents, actually 42 cents, that was turned into four dollars and twenty cents, just made somebody the ruler of New York City. Las Vegas, Nevada. You may name three more. Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, let's go down the list. You say, oh, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever... You watch. You watch. In the kingdom age, you watch. Those who are faithful with little, God entrusts with much. The second came and said, Lord, your mina... Didn't quite make ten. I mean, I was a little shy the first half of my Christian life. and I didn't want to get involved. And, you know, I kind of wanted this truck and all this stuff. And I didn't, I, would, I wasn't going to give my life to you, God. I wanted to live it for me the first half of my Christian life. But, you know, the second half of my life, Lord, I straightened out. I realized I'm getting old, arthritis. I don't have long. And I started getting involved. I could only put up about $2.20. But, Lord, here it is. Now, notice what Jesus said. He did not shame them. Notice what he did. He said to him, and, and you're to be over, good, good, good. You're to be over five cities. Then another came and said, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. Because I didn't really, you know, care anything about it. And I thought, well, surely this is not going to happen. I mean, this can't be real. This has got to be some kind of fairy tale. So I just stuck it away uh, for, I listened to the world and I was afraid of you. I, I was afraid to give my life to you because if I started serving you, Lord, then I wouldn't have that big house and this boat. I wouldn't have all these things. I'd never got promoted in that job. If I'd have served you, Jesus, I, I'd have never made this. And, and plus, you know, look, watching all these movies on TV, I thought you were this hateful, severe judge. God just wants to judge and so I thought, you know what, it's better not to even serve you than it is to fool with it. You take what you didn't deposit, you reap what you didn't sow. That's what the world said about you. I believe it, Lord, and so that's what I did. Now notice what Jesus said. He said to him, I'm going to condemn you with your own words. You wicked servant. Now notice, he didn't call him a faithful servant. He didn't call him a mediocre servant, which is what he called the other two. He called him a wicked servant. I know this is hard, by the way. But notice what he writes. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't. So who'd you hear that from? CNN? Where, where are you getting your Christianity from? The History Channel? You getting it from your neighbors? You getting it from some preacher? I mean, 
Where are you getting this from? Because it's not in my word. Because I said if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. And God is able to provide all grace and all this. Where'd you get all your information about me from? Why then did you not just simply put my money in the bank and get some kind of interest and at my coming I might have collected at least three pennies? Why didn't you at least do something with it? And he said to those who stood by, can you imagine being there when he told this story? Take the mina from him, that is, the other servant. There were three of them. The one that got ten, the one that got five. Take the servant from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, well, Lord, that's just not fair. <laughs> I mean, the first one's already got ten minas. Listen to what Jesus said. I tell you, everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has taken will be taken away. Now let me ask you a question, Christian. Do you think that it is wise to see that what we have really is God's and we are to be stewards of it and to be faithful. We're to be generous. We're to be ready to do good. i got to read the rest of it. There's the three servants. Now what about the rest of the people? But as for these enemies of mine, the one who didn't want me ruling over them, the world, notice what he says, who didn't want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is what's going to happen to the world, folks. And I would not be a true preacher of God's Word did I not tell you that. We do not get our standards by the world's standards. Our standards come from God's Word. So, be faithful in what God gives you and you will never, ever regret it. Never. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. It's a challenge to our heart and our life. It hurts. It causes us to realize that we are not in control. You are. It makes us think about not just this life. It also makes us think about the one to come. It makes us put our hope and our trust in you. It makes us be responsible for what we spend and what we do. But at the same time, Father, those of us who know Christ as our Savior, those of us who have eternal life and have hope that one day that we're going to live in a future kingdom, an eternal kingdom with You, we also know that there's great responsibility. And we are to be faithful with what You give us. And we're to be reminded that one day, even as Christians, we will be held in account for what we do with what you give to us. So may we be faithful, may we serve you, may we not see ourselves as owners, but stewards. May we not be filled with greed, but be filled with grace. And may we understand that everything that we have, really, comes from your hands. It can be given at any moment, and it can be taken away. 
So help us to be faithful. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.